Hey, before you hang up, say this. Sure. This is Steve Pavlina, and you're listening to Vroom Vroom Veer. Do you want me to say it like that? <laughs> you say it, say it how Steve says it. Okay. This is Steve Pavlina, and you are listening to Vroom Vroom Veer. Perfect. Good. There Thanks, you go. brother. <laughs> Later. Okay. All right. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Konnichi gozaimasu. So, this is me talking to Susie Miller of susiemiller.com. Susie is a former therapist, now turned life coach. She's a the better relationship coach, is what she goes by. She's also an author. Her new book, uh, Listen, Learn, Learn, Love. It comes out, uh, or it came out on the 12th of May. So check that out. Um, wow, what a life Susie's had. Um, most of her rooming was of the fun, sort of going fast but having fun and enjoying life and working and being a mother. Uh, her veers were all very dramatic. I don't want to bring any up uh, on the pre because it'll be a spoiler. So uh, she learned a lot from all of her veers. Um, and um, she, she's really been through the ringer. Very uh, dramatic, life-changing um, events. Uh, not for the faint of heart. She's been through the ringer. So strap in and get ready for some great stories about uh, survival and and just lots of uh, lots of tough times that uh, Susie lived through and learned from. And she came out and smiling at the end. Well, not the end at the where she is now. And but she she came out the other side, um, loving life and uh, wanting to help people learn to listen, learn and love. And and uh, she's helping people now through her coaching practice. And she's also speaking quite a bit too. So. Without further ado and without uh, more of my yammering, let's get into my chat with Susie Miller of SusieMiller.com. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Hi Susie, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about your new show and the concept that you're developing here. I'm really excited to be on it. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's evolving for me too. It's uh, and I'm glad because it it doesn't feel nichey to me. Hmm. No, know? I think it's universal. Yeah, I think it's I, it's it's relatable. That's a great word. And I, you know, I do a lot with relationships as the better relationship coach. And one of the things I love about your show is it really invites people to think about their stories. And our story and what affects us impacts everything, our success, our, our relationships, and even how we feel about ourselves. And people really, I think it's a primary learning method. Yeah. And it's not an in-your-face, it's not preachy-judgy. No. It's just sharing. 
I you love know? that. It's just it, everybody's the same. We're all slops, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, some of us put some makeup on it, you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, someday I'm going to write a book called I'm a Mess, You're a Mess, and it's okay. It's okay. Yes. <laughs> so did true. You, did you see that uh, StoryCorps just won the TEDx Prize or the TED Prize for Story- 2015? No, no. So Corps is a, their big thing. It's about capturing stories. So look them up. Okay. And um, they just won the TED Prize, and now there's an app. And what I, why it caught my eye is because I'm so committed to helping people understand their stories. Okay. So this is a great show for that. Yeah, yeah. it's all about story. Yep. Yeah, and I like it because it's easy for me. I don't have to come up with questions or nothing. <laughs> I didn't notice that in the prep work. <laughs> I, I basically make my, uh, my interviewees and guests do all the work. <laughs> Skype is PMSing. <laughs> Seriously. Let's just try audio only. But, Maybe we and, don't have enough bandwidth between us. And, and see, girls can say that. Guys can't say that, but girls right. can say that. <laughs> what would be the guy equivalent to PMSing? Well, I'm saying guys could never say, oh, you're are right. you PMSing? Because girls yeah, would yeah. smack them. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you're right. I have to think about that. Nothing quick. Yeah, right, right. M- moody or something. I have to think about that. Because <laughs> we know you do it. We just don't have it. Uh, category for it yet yeah um, uh, my, my when my wife is pmsing we call it aunt Flo, and and when <laughs> i have when i have sympathetic pms it's called uncle joe that is great <laughs> that is just great i love that okay so let's get into your story okay, okay. so um let's talk about um one of your vroom vroom veer stories and um we had a little pre-show chat so you primed me a little bit so the first story had to do with um, when you were starting a new business with your husband, and this was the first time you had started a business together. Do, do it, did I get that right? So we married young, my husband John and I, and he had come from an entrepreneurial family. And the big joke we had was every time I had a baby, he had a new retail store. So, or he started a new retail store. So we were three babies in, and this, and we were done. And this was our fourth, his fourth store. And I was really excited because we were going to get to do this together. And it was a gift store venture back in the days before Target and Michaels, when most of the stores were boutique stores, and um, you know Hallmark was the big chain. And so we took some of our favorite things about stores, and we were going to put them together. We had signed a lease at the beginning of October, and we had planned to open at Thanksgiving. So we were in warp speed, not just room speed, but warp speed. <laughs> but we were having a blast. Right. We were having a blast. I mean, we went to trade shows in New York together. I got to be the buyer, the merchandiser. I mean, you know, with any startup, you, you're everything. But I got to call myself the merchandiser and the head of buying. <laughs> you were making we had a new ball. Do, jo, uh, job titles for yourself. I did. I really did. And one time we were having a discussion about where some merchandise should go. And I looked at my husband and said, I'm the merchandiser. <laughs> <laughs> That's my gig, so, baby. We were having a ball, um, even with our kids. So we were, they were involved in it. So it was a family affair. And that was back in the era of Beanie Babies. Do you remember Beanie Babies? I do. Those are great. Okay. So the, yeah, they were the rage and they were selling like hotcakes. And seriously, they... Were the collectible prices on those were going up by the day. And right. what was really fun is we had them early. So we actually had like all of the ones that people wanted, <laughs> which was really fun. That's cool. So, okay. So you, that was your room. 
So, and yeah, go ahead. So let me, okay. So anyways, um, we had them all cause we were on the front end and I did want to share this with you cause this was part of the room that was so fun for me. Okay. It's our kids were part of it. Our oldest loved all the books, our middle child. I'll never forget. I have this digital image of her a little petite eight year old sitting on this really big stool at the counter, you know, counter height running the cash register. I mean, she loved numbers then. People were, it was in a very well-to-be neighborhood this store was, and, and we had regular customers, and they loved coming and seeing Emily, and, and she still loves math. She teaches math. So even though life was busy and chaotic, it was fun, um, and we were in a rhythm, and it was really, it moved out of warp speed to reasonable speed um, or, or reasonable room, okay. and it was just a really exciting time for our family. Yeah, it does sound like fun. Yeah, until one night it all changed. Yeah. So okay. So this was this was more of a you know most not all veers need to necessarily be an emergency or a crisis, but sometimes right. they are. And uh, uh-huh. and the way I like to describe a veer is it's just sometimes throw life will throw you a curveball and you've got to deal with it. And, uh, and that might be a crisis. And, and in your case, it was in the form of a drunk driver. So yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about what happened. Well, um, it was raining one night in May. And at kind of life as we knew it came to a screeching halt. Um, a drunk driver ran a red light and totaled my Volvo wagon. And it was less than a mile from my home. So it really, I was knocked out because the, um, it was a double impact. He hit me and because of the rain, we spun and I hit him again. Um, but I remember coming to, and as I was coming to, I saw the engine smoking and I thought the engine was on fire. And I was terrified because a few years earlier, we actually had a house fire and I'd watched a car actually burn in our garage. So as I'm coming to and seeing the smoke coming out of the engine, I was desperate to get out of the car and the door was stuck. So, you know, Volvos, they're like a tank. They're built for safety to stand up right, to crashes. Right, right. So I'm slamming my, I mean, I'm not aware that I'm hurt yet. I'm slamming myself against the door to push it open because I was determined to crack it enough to squeeze out before the car got fired because I had terror inside me um, it, because of, a, uh, you know, what happened earlier. And so eventually I was able to get out. I was in shock. I didn't realize how badly I was injured. But a neighbor had heard the crash, and so they came out pretty quickly. 911 was there. And honestly, I don't remember a whole lot about that night, but I know I was taken to the ER. I remember the doctor kind of took my hand and he looked at me, kind of shook his head and he said, you know, you're really lucky. God and Volvo saved your life. The Volvo saved your life? Is that what he said? He said, God and Volvo saved your life. <laughs> okay. Got, uh, yeah. Your phone just kind of cut out there for, I missed the God part. <laughs> Let me just say that again. You mind again? Yeah, no, I got it the second time. It was God and Volvo <laughs> saved your life. Yeah. So you had yeah. a, a, yeah. I was we we were talking about this a little bit in in the pre-show chat, and I, I think it's important to recognize when a miracle happens. And you know, I believe in everyday miracles, but I also believe in those sorts of undeniable miracles. And and I've had those in my yeah. life too. Um, so that's amazing. All right. So, so yeah. it was a miracle was a just for fear. you to, yeah, for you to, to, to survive, but then it, it changed your right. life too. Right. So the miracle of surviving was one kind of moment, but the bigger part of the year was 
how bad my injuries were. Um, the goal for my first six weeks of physical therapy, once some of the swelling went down and the injuries were able to allow me to move, so was to stand up straight. So for six weeks, they worked just to get me vertical again. Wow. So it was a huge VR. I lost my health. I mean, at that point, I was a runner. Um, I lost my ability to be active in the business with my husband. My kids were scared, um, you know, because they just woke up the next morning and their mom was on the couch, you know, pretty banged up and, you know, on a lot of pain meds. And so it really shifted our family. Um, the next year was sucked up with major therapy, um, physical therapy, a number of surgeries. And then the second year was more of the stability and the rebuilding, but really it was a lot of physical limitations that I've talked about since then as a, a time that really radically altered my life. And they did tell me that some of the injuries will, you know, come with me forever. There's some back injuries that I still deal with. Um, so there's a there, and again, how do you not be grateful for a miracle because I'm alive? So yay. I mean, that's awesome. And at the same time, there's an and, and, I know, you know, in my own personal story and in my work with people, there's this idea of can we be grateful for all that's good and still be honest about what's hard? Right. That's true. That is difficult. Because you don't want to seem ungrateful for the miracle. Right. But I really got my life back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at some point. You know, that, that that's, that's something that, you're authentically going to be pissed at the universe at some point yep. there. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Cause I, I totally believe that all feelings are valid, you know? Oh, I do too. I tell people all the time, feelings are, you just feel them and then you decide what to do with them. Right. I think sometimes people don't make an intelligent decision what to do with them. So yes, I was mad, but taking that madness out of my kids or, not getting over it and letting it be, make me bitter for 25 years is foolishness. So, you know, I'm very big into the reality of, you know, life is both and. It's not all sunshine and roses, but it's not all awful either. Right. Yeah, and you just have to learn. I think it's, and I, I know you know this, but uh, learning to process emotions and not suppress them or avoid them or hide from them. That's huge. I love that you said that, Jeff, because number one, you're a guy. And I don't mean that to be sexist, but I love that you're talking about feelings because a lot of guys I work with don't. And at the same time, there's this illustration I use in my um, upcoming book about how feelings are and emotions are like a beach ball. If we try to suppress them, it's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. They pop up somewhere. So it's kind of like, you know, the man who has a bad day at work but doesn't, you know, yells at his wife who smacks at the kid who kicks the dog. Like, if we don't deal with our emotions, no matter what they are, the hard ones, they stay with us. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. So another one of your vroom vroom periods was um, while you decided to go back to school and do grad school. So talk yes. a little bit about that vroom vroom period. Well, after my accident, we homeschooled our kids for a while because it had been a pretty chaotic time with the fire and then the shop chaos and then my accident. And so they were reeling a little bit. They were young. Right. And so we just felt like there should be some time together. And so we, we just kind of circled the wagons and hung out for a year or two. And we knew they'd go back to public school. We just kind of wanted to get things leveled out. And one night I was talking about John about, so what am I going to do when, when I go, when they go back to school? Cause that was like a full-time thing to be a mom and a wife and a homeschooler. 
And he said to me, why don't you go to grad school? You've wanted to go for years and this could be the right time. And it was a huge surprise because back when in my early 20s, I had gone to counseling to deal with some impact of being abused as a child. And I, not by any immediate family members. I feel like I have to say that to protect the innocent. Okay. <laughs> but I was really helpful and I was really grateful. And so I knew it was something I wanted to do with my life someday. I had spent years volunteering and getting trained as a lay counselor or church counselor. Right. And um, we just put off because we were having kids. You know, that would be something we do later. And so this was it. I was going to get to go to grad school. And the specific program that I wanted to attend, however, was located all the way across the country in Seattle. (laughs) So I had no idea how this was going to work because we were in D.C. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So John made a great case. He was like, okay, Target and Michaels are popping up like weeds and the retail businesses are taking a hit. He was down to one location and he said, I'll just promote somebody to run the daily operations and we'll go to Seattle. You'll go to school. I'll be Mr. Mom. I'll telecommute, fly back when I need to. So it was a great, you know, the veer led to a great room for me because we, you know, I feel like Beverly Hillbillies. We loaded up our stuff and moved to Beverly. (laughs) (laughs) We literally... We rented our home. We put all of our stuff in. We had a five-bedroom home in the suburbs, like all good, you know, people who East Coasters, right, (laughs) right. The suburban sprawl they call a virus. Um, We put most of our stuff in storage. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's cool. We packed up our family, packed up a U-Haul and a minivan, and drove across the country for two years. And I literally, Jeff, was in room heaven. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. (laughs) Yeah. Two Seattle's, years of grad school in Seattle. Yes. Seattle's beautiful. It's amazing. You know, and you, you, and you, you walk out. Lot, good workout just walking around. You do. And you walk out your door and you go, because oh, it's so, so majestic. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. And so laid back compared to D.C. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I was in school. I ended up deciding to get two masters at the same time because I could, you know, you could, kind of combine you could. them. I could. And I loved it. It was really, really fun. And to this day, our kids will still tell stories about their dad being Mr. Mom, you know, the best dinners ever, hot dogs and tater tots, you know. <laughs> and chocolate cake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, when we came back home, they were like, Mom, can dad still make dinner? He makes the best dinners. You're not taking that back over, are you? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he did lots of stuff with them. I didn't, you know, I didn't do as much with them because I studied and went to school. But they weren't lacking because they had their dad. Sure. So it was a really fun time. Right. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Then we moved back to D.C. And so my room kind of continued, but it was not quite as hectic as going to school. My plan was to open my private practice and work part-time. And I had two classes to finish on my theology degree. Okay. And so I was going to do that down in the D.C. area, right down in the hub of the city, And so I was going to get to have more time with my kids. It was kind of that trade-off of a really intense time of being less available, but their dad was 100% available, and now I was going to be really available with them. And they were entering middle school, and I have a very big theory about middle schoolers and high schooler kids need their parents as much as toddlers do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my room was firing on all all cylinders. It was great. And then 9-11 hit. Wow. Okay. And, and where were you now? Were you in uh, D.C. area? Uh, on 9-11, I actually was downtown in the city of Washington, D.C. Whoa. My family, my kids were in school in the suburbs. My husband was at home working from home. I remember 
driving home, it was interesting. Our class was in the basement and it was from nine to 10 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't hear anything happening until we came up at 10 o'clock and you know, the city had erupted. Yeah. I was there. So I got him. Oh, you were? Where were you? I was in Falls Church, Virginia, taking a a course for internet, no, computer security. Okay. uh, And I was in Falls Church, Virginia, and... um, that's about 15 minutes from where we live. Yeah, the 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 building that we were in and mm-hmm. doing the class mm-hmm. uh, was uh, run by the ATF and FBI. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> and uh, and they closed the building down. Like and we 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 had to uh, kill the class and they st- the FBI and ATF started a, a command post in our hotel across oh, the parking gosh. lot. Right. And oh all I gosh. wanted to do was drink. <laughs> I'll bet. I think, you know, there's a joke about how many 9-11 babies, the whole population boom that happened, you know, because right, of that. Right after, yeah, because yeah, everybody yeah. was scared. That's scared sex. That's great. It was scared sex. <laughs> comfort sex. So we call it comfort, comfort sex. sex. Okay. All right. So it was a national veer, you know. Exactly. Um, and I remember it was a drive, national veer. It was. I everybody was freaked had, out. Well, and even, it didn't matter where you lived. I mean, New York really felt it. Right. In ways that we'll never understand. I saw smoke. I, I could see where the smoke from the, the Pentagon. <laughs> yeah. I drove as I drove right? home, yeah, I drove by the Pentagon and oh my God. um yeah. It, it turns out later the man that my husband started working with, and I'll tell you about that, actually walked out of the Pentagon that day. And so we drove by and you could just see the panic in people's faces. So we were four lanes of traffic wide, if you've ever been to D.C., and yeah. gridlock, and everybody was kind of Crazy. looking at everybody, really trying to make sure that, you know, nobody was going to bomb them. Where was the next plane coming from? Right. You know, I'm driving by National Airport like we wondering. War. Yes, yes. And I'm ethnic. This is kind of another kind of bizarre twist to that. My dad is from India. Okay. And so after 9-11, I was profiled a lot. Oh, wow. Because I looked very Middle eastern Sure. Yikes. So, you know, yeah, so that was kind of weird. And what happened for us with that veer was at the same time 9-11 was already kind of happening and the economy was kind of falling, there was a sniper in the D.C. area terrorizing the D.C. area. That okay. was crazy. It was crazy. Our kids, you know, they would lock them down in school. They weren't allowed to be in the, you know, in the yard. And literally in the D.C. area, kind of like 30 miles outside encompasses Maryland and Virginia. And he, he was crafty. He wasn't in one place. Right. He but was moving what, around a lot. He was. And people lived in terror. So there was a little bit of a, you know, the, the country pulling together from 9-11 and really that, you know, proud to be an American feeling. And, and yet the terror of this, this sniper. And I remember my kids saying to me, you know, mom, is it safe for us to go to school? Um, and that's such a hard thing in, in the moment as a mom, because I really, you know, I remember looking at them thinking, I got to tell him yes, because if I tell him I think so, they're going to carry the fear. But if I tell him yes, you know, I'll carry the fear. And it's kind of like that, you know, you have to be bigger than your kid to be able to go, yeah, I promise you'll be okay. Knowing that if something goes wrong, you'll deal with it, but they're not equipped to handle that worry. So they went to school, you know, everybody was in lockdown. One of the shootings was across the street in the parking lot from my husband's store, the one remaining store, and the business fell through the floor. They just shut it down. People weren't going out. And so after surveying that landscape, he decided to close his business. And so the veer that was a national veer of 9-11 turned into a very personal veer for us 
with his business closing and then my plans to be a kind of low key starting business, you know, part time counselor to a full time gig because my income now mattered. Right. <laughs> so yeah. that's a so, big so, deal. Yeah. So, so much for all of my laid back kid time since I'd been so busy for two years. Right. So that veer was pretty, you know, it was hard on my kids. I ramped up my private practice to full time. I was really blessed with clients. Um, so I ended up with like a six month waiting list. So I, you know, I, I, how do you be happy that people need therapy? But I was really grateful. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know uh, you're sharing your gift. Thank you. Yes. Is and the I be- answer. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I began to, interestingly enough, I, I worked with a 9-11 family whose father was on the plane that went down into the Pentagon, and that was a real privilege. And then I worked with a, the man who walked out of the Pentagon. Um, so it was a privilege to be trusted with people's stories and walk through what one of my clients calls the mud with them, slog through the mud. And so I started my speaking and, and talked about relationships. So I was, again, in that tension of loving being a mom and loving a career woman successful, but always that guilt of where I'm not with my kids, you know, and, and they didn't, you know, uh, they didn't care nearly as much as I did because they were in their teenage years and they're like, mom, we're glad you're not home. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that moment but, when teenagers want absolutely nothing to do with their parents. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was a really odd season. Um, again, couple little blessings in the veer. And I think we talked about this earlier to be able to see the good with the bad. I'm a very both and kind of girl. And so, you know, John was able to be home in the days that I Kate's and I worked when they were in, in school. And then John started another company. And so this company did operations for small entrepreneurs. You know how um, startups, you know, entrepreneurs, we love the stuff we love and we hate the rest of it. Right. Yes. And so he loves the rest of it. He loves that. So he started filling the role of the COO for uh, small businesses and entrepreneurs, kind of establishing systems, maintaining systems, running HR. And it took off, you know, so that I was able to then, you know, have less dial back chaos. A little bit. Yeah. yeah I, that's a great way to say it. I was able to dial back. And our life kind of came into what I call that coasting room you mentioned on your website. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's all different sorts of rooming and there's all sorts of different kinds of veering. Yeah. Um, for the, sh- the sake of the show, I mean, I kind of highlight the negative of room vroom and the positive of veer. But that's right. just a simplification to keep things brandy. <laughs> well, and it's, it it's really a twist on the it head because, uh, because we think that room vroom is the good time. Okay. And yeah, sometimes, there's nothing wrong you know, with that. Well, no, I, I like that you said that. There's a negative to it because we lose track of things, and really good things can come from the veers. I mean, my husband still has that business today, and it's a blessing. Right. And it's a great, you know, it allowed me to ramp up my speaking career and eventually make some other changes. If, so, if I had to say that there's one characteristic between them is, is I think – uh, if if you want if in a, in your vroom vrooms as you're vrooming, the uh-huh. more awareness and consciousness that you can plug into that vrooming, I think the better off everybody's going to be, because that's yeah. what that's what veers do. They wake you up, you know, right. and they grab you by the collar and shake you. <laughs> well, and you don't kind of room the same anymore. You don't like you know breakneck speed of starting a business right. looked very different when. It meant giving up time with my kids. Um, after you know a life-threatening accident, you look at life really differently, and suddenly 
your priorities shift. And so I think there really can be some good veers that come out of it. But then they don't have to stall you, but they can certainly inform, like you said, be mindful in your next season of room. <laughs> right. Yes. And, and it's not like you can stop. I mean, it's our nature to automate um, behavior. It's mm-hmm. just the way the human brain works. Um, you know, like I said, so, um, we, well, when we, you even mentioned, you mentioned that sometimes the veers are the taps of God's taps on your shoulder. Yes. And I, and so, you know, even as I was thinking through the show, some of those, you know, they're very meaningful in life. They may not create as great a story in terms of, you know, the, the context, but even in what I just shared, there was this kind of tapping of God on John's shoulder going, hey, this is time to close the business. And did it result in some other things that, you know, initially were hard? Sure. But did it lead us down a new path? Absolutely. Right. Right. You know, and I think what you're, what God is trying to teach you is to attune your listening skills. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that you said that. (laughs) Because when you hear the title of my book, you're going to be like, I'm already smart. My book's titled Listen, Learn, Love. And listen is go. the first skill for yeah. every relationship to be good. And I think that includes the relationship we have with ourselves. We totally. have to listen to our lives and listen to our stories. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, another one of my um, uh, guests, Jim Palmer. He I talk- knew Jim. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> he He's talked a great about, guy. Yeah, he is a great guy. Um, he talked about how he was getting his taps and... Uh-huh. Um, I'll, I'll long story short it. I'll short the story, but you know, he, he, he was getting all sorts of quiet taps about uh-huh. it. Jim, it's time for you to move into this next phase of your life where you're doing your own thing and uh-huh. sharing your gifts with the world. And then here's a tap. You lose your job. He didn't get fired. Right. He, he was laid off. Right. And right. then, and then he was like, well, I'll get another job. And then he was like, no. Okay. Have cancer. <laughs> Well, right. and it, sometimes those those taps or those um, things that we don't listen to that end up kind of smacking us upside the head, you go, right. okay, okay, I get it, you know? Right. It's like if you don't listen to the taps, eventually they're going to be a two-by-four. Yes, yes. <laughs> I tend to be a slow learner in that realm, I've found. <laughs> okay, so your last story was starts when you're in uh, more of a flowy cruise mode of, mm-hmm. of rooming. Mm-hmm. It was kind of happy, so start there and uh, okay. and then and then move on to the, your next veer. Sure, I I call that those years the in the soup years. We you know we're out of the weeds of toddlerhood, but we're in the soup of teens, uh, college applications. Uh, I mean, we were loving life. Yeah, uh, making plans, and one afternoon in October during a routine checkup, the doctor found a lump in my neck. Whoa! In your neck? In my neck. Yikes. So was that, uh, what sort of cancer was that? Well, they, it, it was thyroid cancer. So what Ooh, happened was, is ouch. they, they find a lump and they're like, oh, it could be a cyst. Right. Okay. Right. Let's test it. So you go and have it tested. Then you wait. Right. Then they do another test because they're like, well, they we don't found want to some freak things. out right away. Right. right. But well, let's test these. And then the results came back and we found out it was thyroid cancer. And that was pretty huge because my dad died from cancer when I was just um, 27 years old. Wow. Um, and the other part that was really hard was the doctors, they had no idea how bad it was because there were some complications. Um, one of them was I had a rare 
type of thyroid cancer because uh, without being medical. It just was a rare manifestation of this type of cancer. Okay. And the tumor looked like it was near, and your thyroid's near your vocal cords. And I speak for a living. Right. <sighs> so talk about a veer. That's a you little know, they, scary. Yeah, the C word. We walked around, you know, nobody nobody likes to deal with cancer. And the C word, even even though mine was a very treatable cancer, okay, good. It's, we still had to deal with that. I actually did a bunch of research and found that this guy at Sloan Kettering, this doctor there, was very well skilled in this type of, you know, complicated surgery. And yet we didn't know how serious it was. And so I met with him. I went up to New York um, and I met with him and... He said, you know, if you have to have cancer, thyroid cancer is one of the better ones because it's treatable. And that might sound so bizarre to say, Jeff, but when you're in a hospital, Sloan Kettering Cancer Center of children walking in who have bone cancer and, you know, life-threatening cancer and babies with bald heads because they're undergoing chemo, hearing that from a doctor who walks in that world, you're like, okay, whew. You know, yeah, and, right. and yeah, so he's like, it's treatable. We don't know what that will look like. We don't know the prognosis, but because it's treatable, let's wait till after Christmas to do, to do the surgery. So in between that time, like there's this, okay, and I got to wait more, you know, the exams, the tests, the worry. And I think the hardest part is the waiting and not knowing. Oh yeah. That's the worst. Yeah. That's and one night, it's always the yeah. worst. Yeah, it ages you. You're going to assume the worst. And you work really hard not to. And, um, you know, people want to help and ask questions. You're like, I don't know. Um, One night, my husband and I were snuggled up on the sofa, and he looked at me with tears in his eyes. And he said, I don't want to have to imagine my life without you. I'm really scared. And that, you know, he was, he's more of a stoic kind of guy, very solid, very steady. And it made me think about how rarely you hear about how hard cancer is on the spouse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So fast forward, my surgery did actually reveal that my thyroid was cancerous and bad. They had to take it out. It was in my lymph nodes, but they weren't sure how far it would spread. had spread, so they're like, it could be nothing. It could be more. So go home. We'll call you. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> it is the worst. That's so I go home. Worst. Yeah, and thyroid cancer, they kind of they cut all the muscles in your neck. And I don't know if you ever read Harry Potter, but there's a character in Harry Potter called Nearly Headless Nick. And his head's <laughs> hanging on by a thread. And uh, that's how you feel. You feel like your head's going to fall off the back of you. Oh, geez. And so it's this bizarre feeling. You and mean the, go- the, the, the muscles in the front, like up by your throat, basically? They've cut them all. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's To get awful. behind them. Yeah. To oh. the to the, to the, the thyroid. Yeah. yeah. What's really funny is one of my daughters, you kind of look like you have a Frankenstein scar across your neck. Wow. You know, yeah. vertically with, she drew one with Sharpie on her neck in solidarity. Oh, you kind of <laughs> remind me of Clint Eastwood and hang him high. <laughs> yeah. We can yes. laugh about it now. Now, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So Friday afternoon, I got the call and it was the nurse and she said, they've got it all. No more treatments necessary. No more surgery. Just need to, you know, do some tests follow and follow up. up. Right. So we had that celebrate good times evening. It was fabulous. We were very, very grateful and very, very excited. And then um, so Monday morning, Monday or Monday afternoon, the phone rang and it was Sloan Kettering on my caller ID. And so I answered all happy and grateful in my cancer free, happy voice, expecting instructions about who I should see in DC. Right, right. Right. It was the surgeon. Well, surgeons don't make calls. 
And he started with the words, I'm sorry. I'm Uh, really sorry. There's been a mistake. Oh, no. They read the wrong test. Your cancer has spread to more nodes. We need you to come back for treatment. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, at least you had a a weekend of partying. You know, know, it sucked because... Because you like, were, you thought you were all relieved and it was over and right. And then, it's interesting and then it that you said that, back, yeah. Right. Well, it's interesting that you said that because for me, I was so mad that I got the relief because I was. It was such a brutal. No, you have it. So I almost wish I hadn't gotten the other call. Right. And my, partially too, because my kids were like, "Mom's okay, yay!" Right. And you know, right. and I you're turned Facebooking around, Facebooking, and everybody's like, "Woo!" The, Right. 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 Yeah. So, yeah. The the way that Veer continued was with thyroid cancer, they don't do chemo. They do this radioactive iodine. Okay. And the whole process of preparing for that, for your body, you have to, like, basically shut your body down. And your thyroid is the huge regulator of your mood and sanity. Right. So over the course of two months, it's like having PMS and loony bin on steroids. Lovely. You're literally going out of your mind just to prep for the treatment. Wow. So, you know, I've got teenagers who are like, what's wrong with mom? I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like, you know, now, I look me, like the ex- Go ahead. My wife had a thing with her, her thyroid where mm-hmm. it, was, it was either hypo or hyper. I think she was hypoactive. Yep. Where it was like swelling up. That's hyperactive. Okay. Great. Hyper. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then she was just like no energy. That's right. Um, so where were you? Were you, did you have those symptoms too? Yes. I laid on the, on the big chair exhausted. Right. Because zero it basically, energy, right. zero it energy. zaps all of your strength. Right. With teenagers <laughs> and a private practice. <laughs> <laughs> so you have no energy and because your thyroid, you're, like. You're going through it there, honey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going, well, and for your you're wife. You're like she, Job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All she right. probably had You're like having some, faith. So, yeah, she yeah. had some of the probably the mental kind of. It's just a. It's it's like a fog. It's very bizarre. My wife and, had to take off work and everything, and yeah. uh, eventually uh, they got her meds right and everything worked out where she didn't right. have to have the surgery and she's which been is on, great. Yeah, she's been on the same medication now for years and and everything you know everything seems okay. She seems right. real normal like. So normal. <laughs> when, when, no, I mean, really. Right. Um, it's and true. then every once in a while, it's like the doctor will say, we need to, we need to relook at your meds. Mm-hmm. And we, and, you know, you're not supposed to be on these meds long time, to- a long time. Right. And they always want to do surgery. And, and I'm like, right. say no. <laughs> well, and it really is a catch 22 because right. you, sometimes the treatments were not, well, with cancer, it's not worse than the disease. But, you know, so this will be 30 years now. I was on thyroid medicine before. I'm on really high doses now. And so the doctors say that these aren't good for you. But if you go off them, you could be worse. And the thing is, is my my sister had the surgery to where Mm -hmm. they took out most of the thyroid. Right. Uh, And so she has to take drugs, the the hormone replacement. Right. Right. And... To me, it's like, l- listen to the body sort of wisdom. Yeah, yeah. You know, and really. don't rock the boat. Right, and, right. And are they trying to sell me something here? Right, 
<laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Well, and once she got regulated, she probably felt like a new person, your wife. Right, right. Yeah. She went back it's to great. work and she's working yeah. out and right. yeah, she's normal. Right. Well, fast forward, you know, the treatment worked. I hit the two-year mark cancer-free, um, but I ended up being chronically ill because the treatment had damaged my immune system and my lungs. Right. So the, the very is always the, worse than that cure. Right. I mean, well, yes, except for, you know, right. How do you say, no, I don't want the treatment for cancer. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm young. I have young I mean, I have kids in their teens. I, I don't want cancer to spread. It's, so it's, I went ahead it, and yeah, did the treatment. I did it. Yeah. Go ahead. No, it's just a hard call. It is. Um, and you, they don't tell you that going in. Like, it's like, oh yeah, there's a small percentage that it could have these effects. And you sign, you know, your firstborn and your life and away when right. they do the treatment. So, you know, it really did damage my lungs and my immune system. And this is probably where I learned the most from the veer because I ended up battling chronic illness for about uh, ten, seven years. And wow. every reprieve I would get, I'd start trying to work again at thinking I was better. Right. And I'm talking, I went, my lungs were so damn. I mean, I had bronchitis every month. My lungs were so bad you know, I had pneumonia or I had, I couldn't walk up the stairs so I couldn't breathe or, I mean, I was just chronically ill with infections. So, woof. Yeah, it was awful. And it really does sound like this tragedy. But what was really interesting was I would have these reprieves. I'd get better and I'd think, oh, it's gone. Now I've finally healed and I would start working again. And you know what I would do? I would hit, you know, room 110%. Mm. I'm a slow learner. Slow <laughs> learner. <laughs> yeah. You didn't have that. You didn't have a motor to do that anymore, basically. No. And so I would crash right. and I'd be sick right. again. Right. And, you know, I try another treatment and I would do that. And so this cycle through all these treatments and it would, you know, the sickness would return and dealing with the ramifications of whatever treatment to kill the cancer in my body. And so I learned that it was time to stop pretending that my life hadn't been impacted. It was time, and this is really funny because, you know, therapists live in denial. Don't let anybody ever tell you any different. It's not just so, a river in Egypt, you mean? It's not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> While we help everybody get out of denial, we have our own. So sure. I kept thinking, I'm fine. Yeah. So, yeah, over time, I learned to level out. I actually shifted from therapy to coaching because it's less stress stressful. Right. And it's really much better. You know, stress isn't great for maintaining your health. Yeah. So you're my yeah. second therapist turned coach. That I've had now on the show. Yeah, it's a great. Um, yeah, it's a and great I, freedom. Because I studied psychology, I only did the the bachelor's level, mm -hmm. and that that's when I learned I didn't really want to do uh, anything after that. <laughs> if I did anything, uh, I would have. I would. I looked at and was really sort of enamored with um, positive psychology. I love that. Right. I love that. But not the not the dark side. Well, and I, the, yeah, uh, most people go into the dark side because they've walked the it and somebody is, helped right. them. Yeah. Well, that money is, no, it's where they, you know, I think that's more of a calling. You do that because oh. you feel compelled, but well, I it's just, did. It's, it's like the path. It's, it's right. the path that's laid out there. That's it's, true. I yeah. mean, when you're basically my bachelor's in psychology was, you know, like two years of sales and, you know, each different discipline within psychology was trying to, you know lure you into their <laughs> world <laughs> right right well i would pick over anything po positive psychology now because i have learned a lot about the brain and uh, neuroplasty and quantum physics in my shift to coaching but i also love coaching because it really gives me a 
uh, more freedom. I'm not bound by geogra- geography. There's a lot more um, leeway in the kind of relationships you can have with your clients. You can actually, you yeah. know, and you know more have, than just that. You don't have all those uh, legal things. Yes, and in you your get way. to. Right. You get to work. I call it, I work with clients who need tweaking. They want better relationships, but they're not, you know, one step away from, you know, divorce or they're not dealing with a lot of psychoses. They're not necessarily in crisis. They're okay. And they're trying to get, go from, you know, good to great or okay to better. Right. Or they're just on the verge. They can see a crisis on that. Like they're, I deal with a lot of people when they hit their kids, hit their teens Mm-hmm. And it's suddenly all of their, there's some They're stress in their the marriage. They're seeing coming. Right. Or yeah. entrepreneurs who don't t- tend their relationships while right. they're growing their business. So that's more, it's just more positive. I love it. But what I learned to do was say no. That's I learned, good. like you said earlier, to be mindful and be aware. And yeah. I do begin to like work through this idea of, you know, lots of things are good, but not, you got to be willing to give up the good to get to the great. And so I call that the deeper Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. So I prioritize my clients. I'm selective with my speaking engagements. My husband and I travel. You want to you run your motor at 40%. Right. And, but that and, was and really hard. your self-care. Right. That's a really hard shift for me. And I would say, as I look over the veers, that was the, a big lesson. If you can't go 110% all the time, hair on fire. No, And right. expect to have quality no. of life. And right. that, that's a... That's a uh, uh, a mantra that I'm trying to embed in my message because uh, mm-hmm. Chris Brogan actually did a whole thing on that and that last year's podcast movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, you know, he did the analogy of, you know, if you get a new car and you run it at a hundred percent, it's going right. to blow up. You right. know, you need right. to dial down and get to like a nice, you know, in the military and on an airplane, when, when you're at cruising speed, they call that mill power. And it's okay. right where the motor wants to be. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> to well, cruise, in, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because we talk. I talk a lot about that, not just in terms of personal, but in terms of relationships. Because I think with, um, with especially with business folks, we get to a place where we're so ramped up, startups, and so busy building that we don't remember to make time or do, you know, at least some energy. And I think it's hard to say to somebody, oh, you should always do 45 because sometimes you need to be 60, but you can't be 60 or 110 forever. Yeah. You know, there's times for massive actions. There's times for it to be much, you know, quieter. So, you know, for me, that was the lesson. It really was the ebbs and flows and evaluating things versus jumping into things because they sound good All or right. they, you know, they're, oh, they're great. That sounds like something I want to do. And my mom always says to me, just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> yeah, I think... You know, the more you slow down, you're uh-huh. you're actually you can get more done if you do it right. Uh-huh. Yeah, because like those strategic no's and uh-huh. you're unbusying yourself uh-huh. and you're building your energy to where you know if you if you keep your steady state at around forty percent, uh-huh. and then you need to surge, you've got capacity. That's very well said. That's very well said. Right? Do yeah. you get what yeah. I mean? Does that make I sense? I do. Okay. It make, I mean, I think that's very well that's, said. It makes total sense. Yeah. That's what the military does. They don't, right. they have surge capability, but they don't like run that. there. <laughs> I, you know what? Because if you run there, that. then it becomes a new normal. Yeah. And, and then it, you break down. Our bodies learns, aren't meant it, for that. It learn, it, well, you, you just burn out. Right. 
Yeah. But I may use that in some of my relationship work because I like that idea of knowing there's going to be seasons of surge. But yeah. if you're mindful of them and you've put a lot of... You need to build that capacity so it's there. Right. That's yeah. v- v- it's brilliant. I really like that. <laughs> I will Thank the military. You. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make it up. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it's very helpful. And I think that looking at the... I mean, and this is the hard part is as you get older, you get wiser and you know, there's that movie, uh, it's a wonderful life. And I, oh, there's I that, that scene movie. where he's like, youth is wasted on the young. And I, and I'm like, I want the energy of youth with the wisdom I have now. Right. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And maybe not so many of the wrinkles, you know? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Hey, you know, Susie, thank you so much for being on my show. I have to let you go. I have another call like in a yeah. minute. Yeah. So... Me too. That's great. <laughs> this worked out in the end as, as okay. soon as we got the audio stuff worked through. Yeah. So I'm putting you on my recall list. Okay. Thank right. you. And then um, do you want to know about the freebies I'm going to offer your people? Sure. Shoot. Okay. So um, you can tell them where to find me, susiemiller.com. Yep. That's susiemiller.com. That's S-U-S-I-E miller.com. There you go. And you'll okay. find freebies. And if you do susiemiller.com forward slash VVV for beer, vroom, 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 beer. I love yeah, it. Thank there'll you. be a special thing for your audience. And my first um, book is going to be available well, probably in May, around the time you're launching, it's called Listen, Learn, Love. And it's all about how to create better relationships in 30 days or less. From so the listen, awesome learn, Susie Miller. Yeah. Lost, well, and you can go to listenlearnlovebook.com for some free bonuses for that in the first month or two it's out. So I really enjoyed being on your show and I'm really excited about this concept. And I just want to thank you for having me as a guest. This is, thank you so much. I enjoyed so it immensely. Let's do it again. All right. Great. Thanks. And hey, I'm really trying to book some podcasts up. So feel free to refer me. Okay. Yeah. You know, and if you need help doing anything, just reach out. I will. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Take care. Good to meet you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer.